And we love one another. My wife likes things that I don't care for. I like things she doesn't care for. And it's all good. We still love each other, right, Ron? As of today, we still love one another. And so we love all of you, and your tastes are different. But, you know, for me, just to see those mountaintop views of what God has created has just opened my understanding to how vast God's hands have, have moved among this world, on this world. Sometimes the view is from a distance. Sometimes the view is the wrong view. You know, when Lot's wife turned back towards Sodom, it was the wrong view. That wasn't the view that God had set in front of them. It was uh, not the direction that God wanted them to focus. You know, the ten spies uh, who came back with a bad report, they had a wrong view. They said, we look like grasshoppers to them, and we believe we did look like grasshoppers in our own view. And sometimes the view is an incomplete view. Sometimes we look at things and we don't see the spiritual dynamics, see the spiritual perspective. This is where it's really important for you as the church and me, is that we have spiritual perspectives on things. Right? Not just a natural, physical perspective, but a Holy Spirit-directed perspective on things. How many believe how that's really important to you today? That you have a Holy Spirit perspective, that you're able to see things and discern things, appreciate things, find direction through God's leading The Bible tells us that we're to be led by the Holy Spirit. And in order to be led by the Holy Spirit, what part of our lives has to be connected with the Holy Spirit? Our spirit. We need to walk in union with Him because if the Holy Spirit is leading us on a spiritual plane, we're not going to be able to tap into the direction that God wants us to go. And how do we get there? Those places of quiet surrender. We're having a week of prayer here Monday through Thursday. And we want to encourage you to come into the house of God each evening as we lay our hearts bare. And I want to say, right, it's not, a, it's not four nights of sermons and five minutes of prayer. Uh, there'll be a brief devotion each night, brief devotion. And it'll be a time committed to seeking the face of God. Amen? So that's a great thing. You know, we're not going to bring you to church and then preach at you for four nights. And there may be those nights where we come and do that. But, you know, we're here to pray. We're here to seek God this week. We're here to do damage, right? To the darkness. Shatter the darkness. That's right. And I, let me just get past this before I go any further. For those of you who enjoy the city, please, I love you. I don't love, I, and I love people, I'm just not a city, I'm not a city person, I'm just, uh, and I appreciate that you're, you're, you are, or you may be, I don't know what your taste is, but I love you, and I know you'll show me grace for not being whatever, but anyhow, all of the, all of the time, the view is to be seen through a kingdom lens, you know, this is about kingdom living, this isn't about your church we're part, and when I say that, it's not just our church. It's about you on, in a personal way living a kingdom life. Living a life that is focused on kingdom advancement. Putting our hands uh, to the places, to the things that advance the kingdom of God. Because he said that we were to pray for his kingdom to come, right? And, and his will to be done on earth. How many ever have ever prayed that prayer? The, the Lord's Prayer. And you get to that part of it, it says, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, so, and and we pray, thy kingdom come. Why would we pray that if we don't mean it? Why would we say that? Did Jesus just give us a prayer, as Don said, uh, for tradition's sake, that we just simply parrot a prayer? No, he wants us to pray that prayer and to, and to pray it from our hearts. It's to be an expression of our desires for his kingdom to come. And so when we look at the scriptures in Numbers chapter 20, it says, listen, you rebels, shall we get water for you out of this rock? And that's Moses speaking. Moses was losing control of his emotions at this point. 
because the people were complaining uh, for, because of a lack of water, and the Israelites complained quite a bit. They were very compla- they, they were complaining oriented. It was easy to happen. It was uh, something that happened with frequency, and Moses had reached his limit. And Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice uh, with the rod. And out came water, and the community and their beasts drank. But God said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to affirm my sanctity before the eyes of the Israelites, even so you shall not bring this assembly to the land that I have given them. That's a hard word. But, you know, we look at the tragedy here and, you know, it's something that I think as people we always have to guard against is allowing our emotions to get out ahead of us. That we respond out of our emotions rather than under, you know, how many of you have ever responded out of your emotions and then you regretted it? And and it caused damage and it did damage to others. It does damage to relationships And it's not productive. But, you know, it just goes to show that even the godliest of men and women can be prone to to allowing their emotions to get out in front of them. And so he listens to these people complain. And Moses, being a meek man, as we know in Scripture, had reached his limit. And, you know, you can imagine as he stood there, he wasn't simply going to speak to the rock because his emotions were running the show. In anger, he struck the rock, and he struck it uh, twice. And as we read in the scripture, you think, well, why did God, why was this such a big deal? Why did God prohibit Moses from going to the land? And there's a reason I'm sharing this, because God took Moses up, and he allowed him to see the promises of the promised land, but he said, you're not going to go. He allowed him to see what he had been a part of, what he had led, the, what he was leading the people toward. And God in his grace allows Moses to see, to at least visually see what was promised to them, but he wouldn't go because he had done this. Well, that rock is a representation or it's emblematic of Christ, the rock. And when he earlier had been told by God to strike that rock one time, he struck the rock, and in that emblem of, of Christ, we see that Jesus, the rock, would die but one time. Jesus would die once. And so when Moses does this on the second occasion, it begins to muddy the representation of that rock. It brings confusion to the people because they, you know, they understood that there was a symbolism in that rock. They may not have comprehended what all it was, but they knew that he, he, and when he struck that rock out of his emotion, he muddied the waters. He confused people. And he left them with an impre- certain impressions that really didn't honor God. And so when we look at this, my, my focus is not so much on Moses' failure, but God's graciousness in allowing him to have view of what he had been part of when he led the people out of Egypt. And so as we think about that today, God showed Moses the scope of the promise which he would not live to experience in person. But Moses is very much at the forefront of the people in their journey toward the promised land. You know, when you, when you think about the frustration of Moses, sometimes in life, and I think it's important for all of us, because of, as leaders, our emotions are critical. It is critical that we're able to keep our emotions under control. Because as leaders, when we lose control of our emotions... You know, it causes us to do things that are out of alignment with God's purpose and His will. How many know when you indulge your flesh, you're not serving God's highest purposes? And Moses was not serving God, God's directive because his motions had just drawn him into that expression of frustration. And so our frustration with people and never gives us a license to act out at the expense of our personal obedience to God's direction. 
you know, and yet God allows him to see. And you can think about this frustration that Moses dealt with. There are different ones who say that the Exodus really could have been accomplished in 11 days. Think about that. Now, do, do the math. 11 days minus 40 years. 40 years minus 11 days. This was a journey that became much longer because of all of the things that, that were allowed to break the focus, destroy the focus, uh, to cause people to, to whine and complain and rebel. And, and the, there was all this internal mechanisms, this strife that took place there. All the things that they did that made that journey a lot longer than what it needed to be. And the real punch in the gut was whenever the 12 spies went out and 10 of them came back and they said, it's impossible. We cannot take this. And you realize that once they said that, they spoke this contagious unbelief this spirit of disobedience just flowed like a river throughout the camp and it contaminated everyone. And only uh, a couple, as we know, Joshua and Caleb, and their, you know, their interest would be those who were permitted to, to, to be part of this entrance into the promised land. You know, sometimes... Uh, The tragedy is that God will show us things that we could have been a part of and we've missed. But it doesn't mean that God's given up on us. How many of you have ever realized after the fact that God had a plan for you that you didn't follow? And you look and you see what God had in mind as opposed to what we've done. And what we've done, the decisions we've made, And God allows us to go. It doesn't mean that God's finished with us. It just means that there is something that we have lost and we will never gain back. And there, God still has a plan and a purpose for our lives, right? It's not just God puts a bandage on our lives and says, here, just limp through the remainder of it. Because God can turn our failure into an opportunity for great things to happen. How many of you have ever seen God turn your failures into a great victory? It's not, we don't go out trying to fail, but we have to understand because we fail doesn't mean it's the end of us. But in Moses' case, God shows him what he would, he could have, what he had, what, you know, Moses was, I believe, you say Moses wasn't supposed to go to the promised land. I don't believe that. I believe that it was God's will that Moses entered the promised land, but Moses, by virtue of his actions, disqualified himself from leading the people in. And you know, as we, we think about that, and he shows, them the, he shows them the view and says, this is where we're going. You had to know there had to be a mixture of joy and regret. Moses sees this and perhaps he praises God and thanks him for the great promise that's set ahead of the people. But on a personal level, there had to be some pain. Knowing that I won't be a part of this. How many of you want to be a part of what God's got for us here? You want to be a part of what God has set in front of you? You know, we don't want to be disqualified. We think that God in his grace will just excuse everything. God does forgive us. Aren't you glad for that today, that God's forgiven you? And not only does he forgive, but he removes the doubt or the, uh, or the guilt. But sometimes we miss what we were meant to do because of our, and the consequences are there. How many of you have ever had to live with certain consequences of actions and taking wrong steps. So, you know, this idea that people say, well, God doesn't care about that. He's just going to give it back to you. Well, God will give you what he desires for you to have. But sometimes there are consequences that cause us not to ever realize the full measure of what God had intended for us to do. You know, whenever God, had, he showed, in this case, he showed Moses what, uh, what he would not be a part of, but he allowed him to see what God's will was for the people. You know, David had a desire to build the temple for God, right? 
And yet it wasn't God's desire for Mo, or David to build the temple. He had purposed that who would build it? Solomon. That God would raise up Solomon to build that temple. And so sometimes God shows us or, or we see things in part. And God, it's not God's plan that we actually be part of that. You know, it's like we serve and we do certain things and we fulfill the commission that God has set in front of us. And then God says, okay, this is where it's headed and this is what you've done and this is how you have led to this point. And now the baton is passed. You pass that on. Moses hands off the baton to Joshua. And Joshua would lead the people into the realization of what God had promised to the people. So God is always faithful to his promise. You know that, right? God didn't withdraw his promise from the people. There were just people that weren't going to be a part of it. In fact, a whole generation would not. If you think about that, think about how immense that is. If it's true that this journey could have been made in 11 days and it took 40 years... I got to tell you, I can't even, I can't fathom that. I don't understand that. I, that's hard to add up. That's like saying, hey, we're going to take a trip and we're going to drive. I don't know. Yeah, we're going to take a ride for 40 years. Have you ever been in the car with someone and it felt like 40 years? You sit and listen and they, you know, it's like good grief. I, you know, now I gotta, I'm not gonna go far. I'm gonna stay, just give, I was in the car one time with a bunch of kids when I was in Bible school, and there was this uh, girl sitting there, uh, and uh, she had some kind of uh, ungodly scent. Not natural. I mean, she bought this at a store, and she put it on. She wasn't like, you know, some kind of creature that had a, uh, but she had this, and I gotta tell you, I couldn't breathe. My eyes swelled up. And I'm going to tell you, I was thinking death could have been a better option. And I, you know, I couldn't wait till we got there. It seemed like that ride was never going to end. I mean, I got out, and I'm serious. It was like a near-death experience. People say you had a near-death. I was wheezing. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't see. And I just felt like, is he taking the longest route possible? But you imagine with Moses leading these people who were not always the easiest people to lead, and yet Moses was a tremendous man of God, a tremendous leader. He reaches his point of frustration, and he wails on that rock twice. And God says, I'm not going to let you go, but I'll let you see it. Sometimes God lets us see it, and we're not going to be a part of it. We might not be a part of it because of circumstances such as Moses. We might not be a part of it because like David, it wasn't God's will that David build that temple. He was a man of, of bloodshed and warring. You know, sometimes as we, we, we look at these stories in the scripture, we understand that uh, there's, a, there's different views and perspectives. And Satan is always trying to introduce a godless worldview. He wants to show us the world. From a corrupt, through a corrupted lens. Remember when Jesus in Matthew 4 in the wilderness was in, he was, he had that one on one with the devil. He had that one on one with the devil. Jesus is there and the Bible says in Matthew 4, 8, again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. When he took Jesus up onto this very high mountain peak, he showed the Lord the kingdoms of the world and he sought to usurp the authority of God in offering what was not his to offer. He painted this, he, he presented this, I, this, the vanity of the world and the glory of the world, and he promised that to Jesus. Jesus, you understand, he couldn't give to Jesus what Jesus already owns. That'd be like somebody coming to you and trying to sell you something that you already own. 
you know, God, the Lord owns the pure version of all that Satan presented in a corrupt, through a corrupt lens. And you know, sometimes the devil will show us this view and he says, this looks so wonderful. And this is all it's going to cost you. All you got to do is take and, and bow before me just for a moment. And then you can get up and go about and, and take possession of this vanity and this glory. That I, There are people buying that lie all the time. I don't know if it's true, but what, who's Alice Cooper? You know, you remember Alice Cooper? She, uh, you know, the uh, rocker with the black eyeliner and the black hair. That's, that would describe 98%, right? But... Uh, you know, whether it was true or not, they, they said that, the, you know, the devil came to him and, 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 and told him that if he would give surrender to him, that he would make him famous, that he would give him glory. And, you know, if, that's, if that story is accurate and true, we, you know, Alice Cooper evidently said, yes, that's what I want. I want the glory. I want the recognition. I want the fame. And this is just, this is, you know, I don't know what this signifies, but yes. But you know, today, from what I understand, and I don't follow Alice Cooper. I like all the other ones. No, I don't follow any of them. I couldn't tell you who they are. But Alice Cooper professes, I believe, to be a Christian today. And so, thank God, that shows us that God can redeem, right? Even when we do uh, stupid things. How many of you have ever done stupid things and God forgave you? Anybody here master stupidity the way I have? I mean, I really mastered stupidity when I was a young kid. I egged a preacher's house. I was never good at it either. I got caught. I soaked a church bus. You say, you must have been really evil. All I'm saying today is that the grace of God was greater than my sin. My wife often says, if you and I were in school together, I would have had nothing to do with you. <laughs> yeah, I just, I know these are, these are just little incidentals that, you know, one time I had a friend, his name was Chris, he had spent the night, and he's the one I got in trouble with. We crawled out, uh, we, he was supposed to play his trumpet, a good band kid, you know, he was a band kid, you know, he shouldn't be doing this stuff. And uh, so I was at his house, and his mom said, I want you to go downstairs, and I want you to practice your trumpet for an hour. And he says, but Rick's here. He's spending the night. She says, I don't care. You practice that trumpet for an hour. So he contrived to go down and blow the horn for a while, loud enough to hear. And then we snuck in, and we got the eggs out of the refrigerator, snuck out around the door, ran out through the eggs, ran back into the house, blew the horn some more. And we had so much fun that we went out and did it a second time. Out there standing in the yard and this guy, the pastor standing there. So we go back into the house and his mom says, uh, she hears something outside and she says, Chris, what's going on? And, you know, needless to say, we, we got in trouble. But here's the good thing. They didn't know about the church bus. Because we did that before the eggs, Right. But I'll tell you what happened. We crawled out the window in the middle of the night and we got buckets of water and we scrubbed those windows off. Because we figured if they knew we did that, they knew we did this. So we scrubbed them and he probably thought, man, somebody vandalized the bus and it's cleaner than it's ever been. (laughs) But you know, sometimes we do stupid things and that's what the devil wants us to do. There's consequences to it, right? There's consequences to it. And uh, there's things that happen. And, you know, when we look at Moses, there were consequences to his action. Had Jesus bowed before the devil, there would have been consequences that would have affected you and I forever because Jesus would have bought into that godless view of life. And he would have pursued the glory of the earthly kingdom. So many know they belong to him anyhow. He's the king of all kings. Come on, you don't worship one king of many kings. You worship the king of all kings. And all kingdoms bow before him. Come on. Not apologetic for that. You know, I, 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 have, I'm a, I'm a, I shared this. I have a friend that on uh, Facebook, he's from Gambia. 
And he's a young man, and he asked me if I would, I don't know, Robin says you need to be careful, which I try to, I don't say more than what I need to, but he, he, he says, would you, be a, would you be my father? And you know, and the thing is, he, he, he talks about how his life is, and it doesn't sound like it's very good. Doesn't sound like there's the opportunities that they have here. And his view of the world is much different than mine. I live in a nation where, you know, we, we are blessed. You know, we are blessed here. Whether it's COVID and everything else that's going on, we are a blessed people. I'm not going to suck into the worldview that says there's no hope here. That God's not going to do anything significant. If you believe that, you need to get on your face before God and, and repent of that. Because when we give up on people, that would be like Jesus giving up on us. At what time in your life or mine would he give up on you? Sometimes it's the wrong view. The past is a teacher or a reminder of an experience or a time to reflect upon the lessons learned. But it's not our master. It's not our prison. Aren't you glad that the past is not your prison? That it's not your jail? I thank God that it isn't. I thank God it isn't. I thank God that the, the, the grace of God sanctifies my past, my present, and my future in Jesus. Come on, church. That's how extensive it is, the work of God. We cannot fulfill the objectives associated with the, God's vision for our lives by worshiping at the altar of yesterday. You can't. You can't fulfill God's purpose in your life. You can't serve the vision that God has given you by looking and always looking back to the past. Because, you know, at that point, we lose track. And backward is not the right view. Sometimes the foundation stone um, becomes a millstone because, you know, we, we look at the past and we worship at the past. And when I say, uh, when we talk about the foundation stone, the, the stones of the past that were beneath the faulty buildings of our past lives, they become a millstone. Sometimes the launching pad is uh, wrongly, it wrongly becomes a prison for us. You know, God used my past experiences to launch me forward, not to hold me back. Come on, church. You know, Joseph had a testimony, right, of all the things that had happened to him. Pitt, the prison, the palace. We see the progression of the advancement. It's all part of the story, amen? Come on, church. It's all part of it. Your canceled sin is part of your testimony. The life that you live before Christ is part of your testimony. Don't forget where you came from. But don't be a prisoner to the past. When God forgave you, he forgave you with absolute forgiveness and he set your focus on what he has in front of you. So don't look backwards. I talk to people all the time. It says, uh, uh, you know, there's a 96-year-old man I, I talked to. He said, oh, I was a really bad person. I was really bad. I wanted to know. I, I was wanting to know, what did you do? But he wouldn't tell me. He just says, I was a really bad person. And he says, but then Jesus became my Savior. And, he, and, you know, he's the best, uh, he's a Bible man. I mean, he is a Bible man. He, he is a man of the Word. And the Word defines who he is, and it directs him to where he's going. He's not, he just references his past to highlight the fact that God's grace was greater than his sin and that mercy triumphed over judgment. Sometimes the launching pad becomes a prison. Sometimes the past is falsely romanticized. You know, when, when we've made transitions from churches, there are certain people who, you know what I mean, uh, that loved us. We were the greatest, you know, we were the greatest. They didn't like us when we were there, but when we left, <laughs> oh, Pastor Rick, I just miss you so much. And I, you know, I, I you know, I, in love, say, please stop it. It's going to make me barf. Because I was here all these years and you didn't seem to miss me. 
Now I'm gone. Oh, you know, somebody said, oh, Pastor Rick, you know, know, we miss you. You know, everybody misses the previous guy. He's always greater than life's, you know, always greater. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. And, you know, I, I, um, I look at it and I think to myself, you know, I'm not living off yesterday. When I left Waynesburg to come here, and I want to say this, you know, no matter what happened thereafter in those first few years of great turbulence, I never once had a desire to go back to Waynesburg. My four, my four kids, we got four now, our three kids, <laughs> all their spouses are from Waynesburg. All my kids, grandkids, other grandparents are from Waynesburg. I have a lot of connections to Waynesburg. I mean, there's a lot. My kids, you know, they have a lot of... uh, But you know what? To me, when I came here, I came and I knew God called me here. And you know, and God has, has helped me to look forward, not backwards. Look forward, not backwards. How about you in your life? Are you looking forward? Are you looking backward? You know, yeah, we all have regrets. But the regrets aren't our master. They don't, we're not to allow those regrets to be lorded over us. How many of you have regrets? You know, Elvis said, I did it my way. Regrets, I've had a few. Or maybe Frank Sinatra, whichever you prefer. Egypt is not our home. I want you to say that with me. Egypt is not our home. You know, there were people who complained to Moses and said, why didn't you just leave us alone? We told you, leave us alone. We're better here. We don't want to go. And you know, before that group of people, before Israel could go into the, into the promised land, God purged that whole generation out. Because their hearts were in Egypt. And God had something different. I'm going to ask you, where's your heart today? Is your heart in Egypt? Is it in the past? Is it in what you once had? Stop living life bound up to the past. Be free to look toward the future. I'm almost done here. Egypt is not our destination. Sodom is not our destination. How many know what happened to Lot's wife? The next time you pick up a thing of Morton salt, Lot's wife. Lot's wife. The next time you put too much salt on your food, and I love salt. My wife yells at me all the time. I make those little pillars of salt on my food. (laughs) Pharaoh, when he drew near the children of Israel in Exodus 14, they lifted up their eyes and the Egyptians marched after them. So they were afraid and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why, why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. See, there's always that thought. There's more security in staying back than there is moving forward. The enemy will come and say, that's your safe place back there. And he'll romanticize it and make it look so much better and say, the glory of your previous day. Oh, they loved you there. They thought you were the greatest there. Now look, that's what you got to get back to. I want to tell you what you already know is that you, as a believer, need to, in faith, plug your vision into what God has set in front of you. You will never see what's in front of you that God has purposed for you if you're, if you're looking in the natural. If you're looking in the natural, how many know faith is what? The, uh, the ev- uh, substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I'm going to ask Tammy if you could come. And You don't remember in Luke 17, we're told Jesus says, Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to lose his life 
or, or seeks, uh, seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will preserve it. You say, well, how do you know what happened to Lot's wife? Well, Genesis 19, verse 26, it says, but his wife Lot looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Paul says in Philippians 3, he says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but he says, I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. And he says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past Looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and to receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. I got to just get these few scriptures in here because they're, they all tie. Luke 9.62, but Jesus told him, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Where, where's, what's your view? What is your view taking in today? Where do you have your view directed? You know, maybe, maybe God will show you things that you won't be a part of. I'm going to just be honest in time. I won't be part of what God, I, I'll be a part today in the fabric of what God is putting together here. But there's going to come a day where I won't be a part of it. And I'm going to tell you, my heart is that the church will expand and increase and grow beyond anything it's ever experienced. I was sitting in the, um, what is that room? The conference room today. And I, I watch, so if you look up at that window when you pull in, I'm going to be peering out. Because I pray as people come in. You know, and uh, I was looking at God just impressed on my heart that, you know, we all, we, we have to have a view to see what God said in front of us. And we have to have a, even a view beyond what we see today, knowing that we're not the end-all, tell-all for anything. We're a part of it. We're a part of it. We're a part of it. You know, too many people try to hang on to too many things, and they end up destroying everything. We don't build our own kingdoms. We're not here to glorify ourselves. We're not here to build a following. We're here to serve in the season that God gives us to do what he's called us to do. And everybody, there are seasons in your life where God has called you and directed and purposed for you to do that. Don't, don't, let, don't be robbed of that by distractions. Don't, don't, don't indulge other appetites that take you away. We are not grasshoppers. We are not naive we, you know, we're not, we're not naive and we're not weak, misguided gnats. I don't even know what that is, but sounded good. We are in Christ, powerful, forward moving. Come on, church. We are forward moving. We are an unstoppable force barreling through the gates of hell because of God in us, because of his word. By the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus, the gates of hell come down. The Holy Spirit Church does not see pathetic losers when it looks at itself on the field. We look at what's in front of us and we may be, it may be daunting and big, but you know something? You have to have the confidence that the God who's brought you this far has already licked that mountain in front of you. He's licked that mountain in front of you. After receiving the anointing from Samuel, Saul received a transformational touch of God upon his life. 1 Samuel 10, it says, At that time the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you and you will prophesy with them. You will be changed into a different person. Numbers 13, 12 tells us the only exceptions to those who perished in the wilderness are Caleb's son, uh, uh, yeah, I'm not even going to try it right now. And Joshua, the son of Nun. Now, I will try that one, N-U-N. For they have wholeheartedly followed the Lord. I'm going to ask you to stand with me for a moment. I'm not going to ask you to come forward unless you, you want to. But I, we can pray uh, here this morning, right? right? Uh, 
Numbers 13, Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. They had been infected by people who had the wrong view, who had the godless, faithless view of what God had set before them. And Caleb stands up and he's in the minority. It's only Caleb and Joshua who took a stand. And Caleb stands up before Moses and he says, let's go at once to take the land. We can certainly conquer it. But the other man who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. Here's what happens. So they spread this bad report. about the land among the Israelites, the land we've traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers and that's what they thought too. And then the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or here in the wilderness. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? And then they plotted among themselves. Let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell down on the ground, fell fell face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we have traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. The view in front of us is not a threat. It's an opportunity. Come on, church. It's not a threat. It's not a reason to fear. It's a reason to believe God for increase and growth and advancement. And it says, he says, and if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into the land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. And then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tabernacle. And they and, and, and it said, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. As we close today, sometimes it's the wrong view. Sometimes it's just simply an incomplete view. When Elisha was surrounded by, I believe the the Syrians, as they they surrounded him, uh, his servant came in and told him, hey, we're surrounded. And, And Elisha prayed that his servant's eyes would be open so that he could see that there were fiery horsemen. There were fiery defenders, warriors, heavenly sent warriors that surrounded the camp. You know, sometimes we just don't have that full view, the right view. Maybe we're looking in the wrong direction. Maybe we have an incomplete view. Only faith will reveal to you the reality of what we hope for. Faith is inspired by what God has revealed and what he is revealing 
is in front of us, not behind us. It's in front of us. We learn from the past. We move on from the past. We can't hold on to the past. 2022 is not a threat to our health. It's not a threat to the church. It's not a threat to our well-being. It is an opportunity for the church to make the greatest advancement that it has ever made. It is the time for Bethel to be part of a move of God that is unparalleled to anything it's ever seen before. And so I want to tell you, don't listen to whiners and complainers and second-guessers and those who want to go back to Egypt. Set your view straight forward and say, we're, not, we're having none of that. We are having none of it because we are moving forward. Revelation knowledge is what we need. We need to hear from God every day. And we get His Word. Elisha said, don't be afraid. God's saying to you, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid about what's going to happen with the unseen, the unknown, whether it affects the fear of what it might do to you, your family. To Those are things that will just cripple us and keep us back. And God says, I want you to go forward. I want you to go forward. For Elisha says, don't be afraid, for there are more on our side than on theirs. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes and when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elisha filled with horses and chariots of fire. Faith is not simply restless. Faith is relentless. Faith is always moving forward. Faith is not deterred by the size and the strength of what sits in front of us. It sees the road ahead not as a threat, but as an opportunity. It sees the opportunity not as an imposition, uh, but it sees it as an opportunity to advance in God's perfect will. As I close here today, spiritual eyes. A spirit that is energized in the Spirit of God. We must see that which is otherwise unseeable. We must see it not as a luxury. We must see with that spiritual vision and say and, and understand that that vision is not simply an, uh, uh, an accessory. It's an essential. It's essential to be able to see things for what they really are. David looked at those who had fix themselves on the hill of Jabus. And they said that, you know, the lame and the blind, they could defend this position. And David wasn't having any of it, right? He took them up the water channels. And he took hold of that. He took possession of that. Because he was looking forward, not looking backward. And we know that God established the city that holy dwelling place where the enemy said, you can never come here because the lame and the blind, they will keep you out. Great discoverers, great entrepreneurs, great achievers, and those who refuse to be limited to what their natural minds could see have done great things. They were visionaries of the impossible. Yesterday is not their future, and it is not their comfort zone. Their comfort is found in the kingdom which is not limited to the past, not diminished by time, and not less mysterious because it has been conquered because it has not yet. It is not what we were, it is what we are becoming. It's not what we were, it's what we're becoming. Come on, church. I'm not becoming weaker and anemic in my faith. I'm not becoming, uh, I'm not wavering more than I have in the past. I'm not, I'm more convinced that God is who he says he is and his word is what his word declares itself to be. I believe that the future in front of us is ours to possess in Christ's name. Those things that have, have squatted on holy ground and those things that have laid false claims over our families and our schools in our cities, and our towns. God is going to give us those places as, his inher- as an inheritance to the kingdom. Come on, church. 
How many believe Littlestown is God's? It belongs to Him. I'm not just talking here. I'm not blowing smoke. I believe this with all my heart. God is not, He wants, he wants Littlestown for His glory. Come on, that doesn't mean we do it by ourselves. There's, a, there's other believers in this community in town whom God is going to use to bring forth light. Josh has put together, he got a, a map, he and West Capel, and we're going to pray over all the streets of our community. Someone had sent me a text on, uh, on, on uh, I don't know, one day last week and said, I'd like to have a meeting with you because God has put something in my heart. There are urgent situations in the surrounding communities. And, you know, sometimes we say, well, no, we're already doing what we're doing. But, you know, God just said, nope, you're going to hear this. God affirmed in my heart that there's something to be shared that is meant to be heard. Come on, church, as we close today, are you ready? Are you ready for the future here? I embrace 2022. Hallelujah. Come on, say that with me. I embrace 2022. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When I was a kid, I looked at the year 2000 and thought, 2000, I'm going to be an old man. It's going to be all over for me. I did the math. That's going to be 37 years old in the year 2000. And, and I thought, man, that's, that's it. 2022 is here, and I'm 58 and a half. And I feel more energized in, in, in what God is going to do here and abroad and elsewhere, I am more convinced than ever in my lifetime that God is going to knock some walls down, take some gates down. And, you know, I want to be a part of that. Hallelujah. You know, Azusa Street is a great heritage. It's a great remembrance. It's, it's, it's fuel of encouragement. But, you know, God has something greater than Azusa Street. God wants to do something greater. There's going to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I want to be in it. I want to be in it. I don't want just a replication of what has been. I want to go places where God has not taken the church yet. I want God to take me where I've not been. How many will say today, I want to go where God's never taken me before. Well, I want to go where he's been waiting. And he says, come on, let's go. That means let go of the past. Let it go. Let it go. Don't hold on to it. Don't hold on to it. Don't compare this with that. Don't compare the the past with what you expected, the future. You say the past was wonderful, but man alive, what God's doing today is going to be greater. Hallelujah. Tammy, what do you got? I'm sorry. You know me. Uh, uh, I'm going to ask you today. Let's sing that to the Lord. and Then then I'm going to pray just a prayer of uh, Holy Ghost blessing over you. In fact, I'm going to ask... Uh, um, Leroy, if you would pray over this, Leroy, if you'd pray over this group of people uh, today as we close, and after Tammy, if you'd lead us, and let's just take a moment and just get excited, get pumped up, get fired up, get fueled up. Hallelujah, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.